0: What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, 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 What are NFTs?
1: A non fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin.
0: Bitcoin just seems like a scam. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Under Ledger. I'm your host, Mul Said. It's been a while, I know, but I hope you've all been doing great as we're back on a Parisian rendezvous for the monthly recap. This is a new addition to our show aimed at keeping you updated on the Ledger ecosystem and its latest news. We'll also be meeting some of our incredible partners and diving into their projects and initiatives. Now with the latest news, our CDO Charles Guimet has just returned from Bitcoin Amsterdam, where he gave a fascinating keynote on the topic of Bitcoin governance. With the rising interest of institutions in Bitcoin, managing their access to the so-called digital gold is gaining paramount importance. Today, we have Charles here with us to share his insights from the event, and we'll also pick his brain on the topic of Bitcoin institutional custody and governance. After Charles, we're excited to welcome Mike Schmidt from Ring.dev. He shed the light on the world of Bitcoin developers. Bring.dev is actually a non-profit that supports full-time Bitcoin core developers. These unsung heroes play a pivotal role in the health of the Bitcoin network. But that's not all actually. From October 17th to November 3rd, we're bringing back the BTC Orange Ledger Nano S Plus with an exciting discount. Even more importantly, for every one of these devices sold, we're donating $5 to the Bring.dev team to further support their community of developers. Now, let's get into the heart of the matter with Charles and learn about Bitcoin institutional governance. Here we go. Charles, good to have you on the show. Uh, You've just returned from Bitcoin Amsterdam where you delivered a pretty interesting keynote. Uh, But before we dive into that, um, can you share with us the th- your thoughts on the atmosphere of the event and uh, maybe give us a few few updates uh, for the folks that didn't have the chance to be in Amsterdam?
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, frankly, the, the atmosphere was pretty good uh, despite the northern uh, weather, let's say. It was a little bit rainy. Um, but uh, apart from that, I, I think I really prefer... Bear market, uh, because uh, you meet people who are really passionate uh, about Bitcoin and who are uh, building. Like uh, you, you don't have much people who are only attracted by easy and fast money. Like this is not mm-hmm. the the purpose of this kind of conference. So I really prefer this kind of uh, atmosphere. Uh, nonetheless, this is true that. Uh, when you discuss a little bit uh, business uh, with people, uh, there was some uh, slowdown for for everyone. This is true, but apart from that, uh, everyone is focused on building, and th- that was a, that was a cool atmosphere.
0: That's great to hear. So, what was the buzz in town? What's on the minds of the Bitcoin Maxis at the moment?
2: Um, it's pretty interesting that uh, a lot of um, the new buzz, the new projects, are around creating more logic on top of Bitcoin. Uh, mm-hmm. There was some similarity uh, on, on what we see uh, on Ethereum for a few years now. And I think there are three main projects, ID. Uh, the first one is Ordinals, of course, like uh, which is uh, the, the Bitcoin version of, for NFT. And you have like two other um, interesting ID, which are uh, BitVM, and drive chains. I, I can say a, a little, uh, a little bit about that. Uh, BitVM is some complex mechanism that allows to implement some kind of optimistic rollup uh, for uh, the listeners who are um, uh, who are aware of uh, optimism, like all this layer two uh, running on on, uh, on Ethereum. So the idea of BitVM is to do something similar to that, but on Bitcoin. And mm-hmm. what is uh, elegant in a way but it looks a little bit hacky for me also is um, so on optimism uh, on optimism and optimistic what the idea is is to uh, is to be in a situation uh, where we think everything uh, goes well but if ever uh, someone is trying to cheat there is a way to uh, create a footproof and the, the, the blockchain will, um, uh, will uh, verify your fault proof, and if, uh, if your fault proof is correct, uh, you can revert uh, the state. And also, there was some incentive mechanism uh, around that. And the difficulty for Bitcoin is mm-hmm. there is uh, no, like, the, in order to execute complex logic on Bitcoin, it's very limited because of uh, the way uh, Bitcoin is structured, it's not Turing complete, and so on. And uh, what they did uh, with BitVM is a complex mechanism that allows um, to verify there's fraud, there's fraud proof. And if uh, your fraud proof is correct, you would have to do like several transactions and, um, and you can uh, reach with some collateral. So this is the, the high level ID of BitVM.
0: That's super interesting. So let me try to break this down. This is happening obviously on the Lightning Network, or some sort of a Bitcoin layer two, because if you're actually reverting a transaction, it means that you're changing the state of 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 the blockchain, which is supposedly impossible with, with Bitcoin. So this is happening on some sort of like a Bitcoin equivalent of a of an Ethereum layer two, if I'm not mistaken.
2: No, this is this is correct, and, okay. and this is not Lightning. This is another uh, layer two. And, okay. but it's, it, it uses the same mechanism. Like you open a, a channel with someone else. So this is a mm-hmm. state channel. Uh, and then you uh, will evolve uh, the states according to the logic you want to implement. And then you have the fraud proof mechanism uh, that allows you to retrieve the collateral that you put on this uh, state channel just in case the other uh, party is trying to cheat.
0: Interesting. So yeah, similar to like optimistic rollups, everything's getting batched together. And then the transactions once validated, batched and validated, get then, you know, transmitted to the, to the, this is, you know, this main, is the main chain.
2: This is the end state ID, uh, that frankly, yeah. we are very far from being able to implement this. For now, this is a, mostly like a research article and I, I'm not very uh, optimist, uh, optimistic on uh, this idea because it's very complex to uh, implement and the fraud proof wouldn't be uh, that easy to uh, to implement as well. But it's, I think it's a good idea. Uh, uh, it's um, interesting to see that the research uh, progress. Uh, so we'll see, we'll see. For now, I'm not we'll very have... optimistic for this idea, but it's interesting.
0: We'll have to see where that goes. So exactly. maybe we, we should get into your keynote. It had a pretty interesting title. How Not to End Up in in Jail. What's the story behind that title?
2: Yeah, it's a a pro tip for everyone. (laughs) How (laughs) Not to End Up in Jail. It's, uh, generally speaking, it's a good practice in life. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, I I, I wanted to talk about uh, governance. Um, We, Mm -hmm. as a Bitcoiner, you know that uh, self-custody is something really important uh, because uh, it allows to implement permissionless money. For me, this is really... Uh, the most interesting aspect of Bitcoin, permissionless money, money, and it's achieved through uh, the decentralization of the consensus with the uh, the associated set of uh, incentives that you give to miners. I won't go into those details. And self custody, you own your value, and no one can prevent you to uh, own it. Uh, but when you on organization, it's more complex to define what is uh, self custody. It's not only about um, securing your private key. Uh, for instance, if you are uh, an exchange, you don't want to uh, to put all the money of your customers on a nano. Not because mm-hmm. of security, like a nano is perfectly secure, even if you want, you want to put billions on, on it. But mostly for the for the the governance aspect, you you, you the operational risk associated to that is, uh, is, is crazy. You don't want to have someone in, or, in your organization with nano and, and this person would be able to spend billions alone. It's, it's really, uh, really risky for organization and that's why I think implementing governance is uh, something really important and if you don't do that you might end up in uh, like a mismanage, mismanagement of funds, and at some point you might end up in jail and this is, by the way, what happened to what happened to um, to SBF FDX. with FTX. For now, this is only a trial, but what we discovered just during this, this trial is a little bit frightening. Uh, in terms of governance, like that was really, really not good. Uh, everyone, not everyone, but a few a few people could access to all the funds, and by the way, they used it uh, in a bad way. It seems. So, yeah, governance is really important. And I had also another um, story in mind, uh, which is uh, Quadrica CX. I don't know if you remember. That was, uh, I think, course, a Canadian Of course, there's the exchange. Netflix documentary. Oh, yeah, that's true, that's true. And, uh, and the CEO just disappeared. Apparently, he was dead. But this is not that sure. And he was the only one to uh, have an access to the fence, which is, again, uh, not a good governance uh, uh, Setup. So yeah, this is what this is why I wanted to uh, to talk about that, and then I described a little bit the different options that could you could uh, implement on Bitcoin for uh, for the governance of the coin.
0: That's that's super interesting. So first of all, Bitcoin governance. People mostly think about the on-chain governance, but you're here mainly talking about the governance of Bitcoin treasuries by institutions so the ability for an institution to actually govern its own treasury and not depend on one set of keys or a single source of failure that could walk away with with, with the bank um and and that's super interesting so why do you see that as being a main channel challenge especially in in, in the current context um obviously you mentioned ftx and all of that but is it is it related? To the bitcoin etf for instance how is that going to come into play and and how is that landscape changing um you know um, in 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 this phase of the market
2: it's yeah it's a, a interesting question and comment um so i see uh, several challenges for the future of bitcoin in the coming years and and governance is definitely uh, one of them um since I joined Ledger, like more than six, uh, no, almost six years ago now, uh, we are thinking about uh, institutional adoption. Like we, we uh, all the time we think it comes, it comes. There are some institutional adoption, but it's more like crypto-native uh, company. Um, but with um, this ETF uh, thing, uh, the spot ETF in the US that could be uh, accepted, and as soon as there will be one, there will be. Uh, Twenty uh, probably. Uh, I feel we are entering in in the twelfth uh, um, uh, institutional uh, adoption phase for Bitcoin, especially Bitcoin. Um, like you, we used to say this for, for six years, but now I really think it's coming. And uh, we, when we are um, talking with uh, with clients uh, for our B two B solution. We see more and more clients coming from uh, traditional finance, uh, even banks. Uh, banks are uh, willing to offer uh, Bitcoin to their customers, and they will. They will need a strong governance. They are used to uh, to having a clear governance process. They are used to uh, to use high standards when it comes to uh, security. Uh, banks and traditional uh, financial institutions are using HSM, like all of this, they, they know uh, this very well. And I think we are entering in, in the phase where they, they are entering uh, into, uh, into the, the market. Because back in the days, we discussed with banks and traditional finance uh, 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 company institutions and so on. But that was mostly like an um, innovation team and they just wanted to be part of the blockchain revolution that, that was blockchain not bitcoin uh, but there was no real project no real they just wanted to be part of part of it just to say we are working on uh, this blockchain thing but these days it's very different uh, we see this this is the real teams that are building product uh, and they want to uh, offer Bitcoin to uh, to their customers, either um, real Bitcoin, direct exposure to real Bitcoin, or a derivative product as ETF. But in all cases, they they will need to uh, manage their um, their Bitcoin, and they they will need governance. There was there was no doubt about about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, even if they issue ETFs as a financial instrument, there needs to be a custodian that actually holds the counter value of those ETFs in, in Bitcoin, and Bitcoin and those treasuries will need to be managed. So that's that's what you're saying. And you basically touched on Ledger Enterprise, but some of our listeners might not be aware uh, that Ledger has an enterprise product. Could you maybe um, explain that to, um, you know, those who are initiated? Like, what is the product? How does it work? And um, give us a bit about the you know services also that this product uh, provides you access to.
2: Yeah, sure. Uh, definitely, Ledger is very well known for the retail product, the Ledger Nano uh, devices, Ledger Live, and, and so on, and less known for uh, our B two B product, which is completely uh, completely normal. Um, and our B two B product is uh, is called Ledger Vault within uh, Ledger Enterprise Services. And functionally speaking, Ledger Vault is really similar to Nano. Like uh, this is a solution to uh, manage your funds, to manage your Bitcoin, your, your Ethereum, and so on. And you want to manage them, you want to um, be in control, you want to uh, to have an access to the key, you want to secure them. It's even more important for financial institution because they are um, potentially uh, storing billions. So this is what we built, but on top of that, we have built... Uh, uh, governance framework which is very flexible and as an organization, they will define different roles. You have uh, administrators, you have uh, operators, and as an administrator, you uh, will define uh, a set of rules. For instance, you will say this specific group of people has an access to uh, the following list of accounts. Uh, They can make transactions only to uh, this address, uh, which is the whitelist, um, if they want to make transactions to another address, they can, but they need to gather three approvals out of five. One of them must be the CFO uh, above a certain threshold. Like all this uh, governance um, can be implemented on uh, on top of Ledger Vault and it's completely chosen by the organization. The organization has um, uh, different needs, uh, different needs in terms of governance. Uh, they use different types of accounts. Uh, something so, uh, some wallet could be very hot, so everything is automated. Uh, all the everything can be controlled through API, but you you will only leave like five percent of your treasury uh, in this hot wallet, uh, maximum five percent, let's say. And for the rest, you will want more governance and more controls when it comes to uh, doing transaction from these uh, colder wallets. So this is really what uh, what can be uh, built with with Ledger Vault, all this governance framework. And you you also have the trusted display property, uh, which is important. When you consent for a specific action, you want to understand uh, what kind of action you consent. And this is why we are uh, giving to uh, um, Ledger Vault customers a personal security device, which is basically um, uh, like a hardware wallet, but the the seed is, is not inside the hardware wallet. You just use it for authenticating yourself to the platform and to have the trusted display and consent uh, the approvals uh, you, you you are about to uh, you are about to do. And finally, we are using HSM uh, for a hardware security module, uh, which is the the standard in uh, traditional finance.
0: That's amazing. So, the idea is that the folks working at the company will all have different devices and depending on where you sit within the hierarchy, you're able to spend a certain amount or to spend a certain amount um, to a specific recipient. And then, you know, once you go over specific thresholds, you need more approvals. Um, You know, it's kind of like a normal purchase order process in a a company, right? But that's just the kind of the the blockchain version of that. With obviously multi-signature, and uh, ultimately, um, you know, providing you also with uh, the ability to access different services. Do you want to get into that? Because it's not only about, you know, holding the, 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 the assets. You also have the ability to benefit from a set of different services um, if you wish to.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, we, we have integrated the, the Ethereum ecosystem uh, quite uh, finely and we have uh, something called uh, smart contract interaction, so you can connect, connect your vault to Uniswap if you want and as soon as you will like do a decentralized swap with uh, Uniswap, then uh, according to your governance rule either you can do any swap on your own or you can define threshold, you can define a different set of rules uh, for. Um, uh, uh, granting uh, certain rights to a certain user, and again ledger DNA, you will have on your device um, and on the trusted display a confirmation of the transaction you are about to do. Uh, you are about to uh, swap this amount of Ethereum on uh, on, on Uniswap against uh, USDT or or something, and then uh, you can verify on the device. So Uniswap is only an example. We have uh, integrated. Uh, all the smart contracts. Uh, like, um, we have a generic way to uh, to, to discuss with smart contracts, to interact with smart contracts, with uh, security, and also we are supporting uh, uh, plenty of blockchains. Uh, to be honest, I, I don't even have uh, the number in mind, but uh, we, we are supporting plenty of blockchain on uh, on Ledger Vault as well. And there is something else we are working on, which is uh, very important and that has a lot of traction. Um, that is called Trade Link. Um, the idea of trading is to um, create a, a technical and legal framework where a, a hedge fund or uh, any uh, any organization who wants to do trading uh, on an exchange but don't want doesn't really want to put their funds on uh, on, on this exchange because in traditional finance there was this, this, this distinction like exchange and custody are. Are a different entity uh, because because the regulation force uh, force this. In in crypto, this is not the case. When you want to trade uh, with an exchange, uh, you you have to uh, send your funds uh, to uh, this exchange, and then uh, at the end you hope that you will be able to withdraw. Most of the time it works. Sometimes FTX happen, and then you can't withdraw, and then uh, you um, you are in a difficult situation. And this is what we call what we want to solve with uh, trading. So we we are uh, putting in place um, a a setup where where you have the hedge fund, the exchange, and a custodian uh, in between. So you will uh, put your funds in an escrow account uh, with the with the custodian. You will do as many trades as you want, and at some point you will do what we what, what is called clearing and settlement. So we compute the balance. So you did this trade, this trade, this trade, this trade, and at the end, I owe uh, uh, to the exchange this amount of Bitcoin, and the exchange owes me uh, this amount of uh, Ethereum, and then the the custodian will uh, settle the position so that the exchange is paid, and uh, as uh, an hedge fund, I'm paid also. But it removes the counterparty risk uh, that you would have uh, trading directly on the exchange. So this is really the idea of trading and uh, for now there is no regulation forcing us uh, to do that forcing exchange to do that but this this is the direction of the history this is where uh, the industry is going and um, when we are talking uh, about that in the market um, the the players are really keen on uh, using this uh, this framework
0: yeah i mean that's definitely fascinating if you think about the future probably every organization in the world will have digital assets on its balance sheet, and they definitely need the framework to be able to hold those assets securely, to be able to govern them, and then to be able to you know, leverage on, on those assets, whether it be to trade or to stake. Um, and probably there will be multiple other services that, that, that will you know, come to fruition in the future. Um, so Charles, in a moment, will be chatting with Mike Schmidt, uh, the executive mm-hmm. director of Brink.dev, um, we're proud to be partnering with them until October uh, 21st, donating $5 for every purchase of a Ledger Nano S Plus to Bitcoin developers. And you were kind of at the inception of this. So can you tell us more about bring.dev and why you pushed for this Ledger partnership?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, there, was, there was something to, uh, to understand, which is really special with uh, Bitcoin, which is not the case for uh, the other blockchain. There was no Bitcoin Foundation. It, it, this thing does not exist uh, with, with Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin has not uh, went through uh, an ICO. Uh, that was the first, but no ICO at the beginning. So um, Bitcoin developments, uh, because on on different blockchain, uh, what you see is that the foundation has a big amount uh, of money, of tokens, uh, of the. Uh, of the blockchain, and they use uh, this money to, um, to fund the developer, to, uh, to make sure the, the developer community grows and has enough resources uh, to progress, uh, but this is not the case with Bitcoin, there is no uh, Bitcoin foundation, this uh, thing does not exist, and Bitcoin developments uh, are based on volunteering and donation. and there are a few organizations, um, including uh, Brink, that uh, provides grants and fellowship uh, to fund the development of Bitcoin. So, uh, for for us, it's really important to uh, support Bitcoin ecosystem as a whole. And um, using Brink for uh, for this uh, was uh, was the straightforward option for us. Uh, they are supporting the uh, Bitcoin developer community. Uh, through funding uh, on one side, also uh, through education. Again, education is, uh, is something very, very important uh, in our space. Uh, we, we are um, at Ledger, we are spending a lot of time and resources uh, for that. And this is really important. The blockchain, Bitcoin is a big uh, paradigm shift and understanding it is not that easy. So it's also uh, uh, part of our mission uh, to help people to, uh, to understand things. And also, they are doing some monitoring, so they are very deep in uh, in the Bitcoin community and Bitcoin de- development. Uh, so uh, that was important for us to uh, to participate uh, to uh, Bitcoin development. So we just wanted to humbly participate in this journey, and uh, this partnership is uh, w- was a good um, a good vector to do that.
0: Awesome. Thank you, Charles. Uh, we we'll hope to see you soon again for. Our- our monthly recap. And there you have it folks, a recap of Bitcoin Amsterdam with Ledger CDO Charles Guimet. Let's continue our journey into the fascinating world of Bitcoin developers with Mike Schmidt from Brink.dev. Hello Mike, welcome to the show. How's it going? Great, thanks for having me. Pleasure. So we just got off with Charles and we briefly touched on um, you know, Brink uh, earlier and I, I just wanted you to give us a deeper understanding of what Brink is and Maybe tell us the story of how it came to life.
1: Yeah, first to describe Brink briefly, we're a charitable organization. We have a 501c3 status in the US, and we have a mission of supporting open source developers that are working on Bitcoin. And so not building on top of Bitcoin or building a business or building something that uses Bitcoin, but the actual Bitcoin core software that underpins much of the Bitcoin network. We want to support the developers working on that common good for the industry. And we're funded 100% from community donations. We don't have any, any source of funding other than the community's willingness to support us. So whether that's individuals like folks sending us sats over lightning, or whether that's Jack Dorsey, who recently made a donation, Or whether that's Bitcoin businesses, like folks like you, uh, folks like Ledger, who are supporting our efforts. Um, We're totally community funded. And those donations then allow us to support the developers working on Bitcoin Core. So we focus on uh, Bitcoin software, specifically Bitcoin Core, and some of the research and development around that piece of software. Um, Right now, we're funding eight developers, and seven of those developers are full-time. And we have a office in London where some of the folks work together and share knowledge. Obviously, Bitcoin development and Bitcoin in general is a a global thing and developers are spread throughout the globe. But we've heard from our grantees as well as some other developers that being in person with other experts um, really provides a way to collaborate and and level up. So we also have an office in London for our grantees. And uh, the, the question about You know, the genesis of Brink, I've been a longtime contributor to Bitcoin Optech. We're an educational resource around Bitcoin and Lightning technology. Folks may be familiar with our weekly newsletter covering developments in the Bitcoin and Lightning spaces. And if you're not, check that out at BitcoinOps.org. So I've been contributing there for several years, and I met John Newberry, who was one of the Bitcoin Core developers at the time, and we had been both contributing for several years. And this was uh, in 2020, and we thought it was a good opportunity to spin up an organization that was a charitable donation specifically uh, for funding Bitcoin developers. There was other sources of funding at the time, so you had... Folks are probably familiar with Blockstream funding some developers, ChainCode had been funding some developers, and we thought it would be nice to provide a conduit for the community to fund development work. And so that was the genesis of Brink, and that was about three years ago now. And we feel like we've fulfilled on our mission, and our goal is to continue to support strong developers that are building Bitcoin.
0: That's awesome. I love a lot about what you said It's like a decentralized community you exist uh, you know probably in all continents or, or you know at least uh, uh, lots of you know different regions around the world but you also have like this physical place where people can actually get to meet and collaborate um but maybe you know you mentioned bitcoin core developers a few times and and let's try to help uh, you know the folks that aren't tech savvy and, and probably listening to this um episode um who are Bitcoin Core developers and why are they so crucial to the Bitcoin network?
1: Yeah, I think there's um, a lot of folks have similar questions, even, even folks who are hardcore Bitcoiners. Is uh, What are these Bitcoin Core developers doing? And I think from the perspective of Bitcoin users, um, and that could be hodlers, dissidents using Bitcoin inside oppressive regimes, folks building on Bitcoin or just folks using Bitcoin for their day to day transactions. I think what what we're all here for is the permissionless, uh, censorship-resistant nature of the Bitcoin network. And so much of what the Bitcoin core developers do in a day-to-day basis is work in service to preserve and enhance that censorship-resistant properties. And so there's a bunch of categories of things that you could say that they do. The nice thing is that The repository for Bitcoin Core is on GitHub, and you can actually see a lot of these changes for yourself. But to digest maybe a few of them for the audience, in order to have a censorship resistant network, we want to make sure that everyone can run a node and we make it as easy as possible for folks to run a node. So you have that decentralization which which facilitates the permissionless um, censorship nature of the network. And so an example of that at a technical level is you know, obviously, performance improvements to the software, so it's easy for folks to run. You know, making sure that the software can run on the latest version of the operating systems, and that some change in macOS doesn't break Bitcoin. Which actually, there was some issues with that. And you know, you need to make sure that it runs on on Mac, right? So you need somebody who has the expertise of doing that. Um, keeping the resource requirements low for Bitcoin Core. Actually, in the last few weeks, there was a bunch of work merged into the Bitcoin Core codebase around this Assume UTXO project. Um, And that's been in the works for a few years now, and there's been several contributors to that. But the whole point of that is to make it easier to get a node up and running. It very much improves the user experience. So if you have the experience of running Bitcoin Core in the past, you know sometimes it can take a while to download the whole blockchain and, and so you can get up and running on what you're trying to do. With Bitcoin Core? Well, with Assume UTXO, once that's available for, for download, you'll be able to get up and running much quicker. And so the user experience is great. So then you install the software and you're kind of off to the races and, and the blockchain will be downloaded in the background. So that you know that's one example of making it a little bit more accessible for people and encouraging people to, to run a node. I think another thing that the developers are working on is just general testing and bug fixing. Um, and that's not just testing new code or proposed code changes to the software, but that also involves things like looking at the existing code and running tests against that code to see if there are potential vulnerabilities there that potentially have been there for a while. And so we have one of our grantees, Nicholas, actually works a lot on fuzz testing, which is this notion of throwing quasi-random inputs uh, into the Bitcoin core software and seeing if there's some combination of those inputs that um, could potentially cause an issue or cause a crash or cause some sort of an anomaly. And so, you know, work like that obviously is important. And I think all Bitcoin users would want their core development team focused on things like that, uncovering bugs, fixing bugs, performance testing. In um, one other category of thing, and this is by no means a an exhaustive list, but there are some privacy initiatives as well. So, um, Right now folks who are running a node, your node is talking to other nodes on the network getting information about transactions and blocks that are propagating. All that communication is being done unencrypted in plain text. So if you have observers of the network looking at that traffic, there are potential privacy concerns, and there are certain types of attacks that um, having that open dialogue view- viewable to anybody can cause. And so there's a project that some folks have been working on for several years that also has gotten merged in the last few weeks. Um, it's called BIP324. It's encrypted transport. And so now, uh, in, a, in a very backwards compatible way, you can run a node on the network. And if it finds other nodes that can speak this encrypted um, protocol, it'll start speaking in, in encrypted instead of open text, so cutting off, raising the cost for, for certain attackers to do man-in-the-middle attacks or privacy-related um, attacks. So these are the kind of things, you know, big projects and small projects that if you look at the, the GitHub and the discussions on the mailing list that these developers are are focused on. So I think we could all agree that valuable work for the for the protocol and
0: for the project. Yeah, that, that's super insightful because when you think about like Bitcoin, a lot of people think that it's kind of static and that's actually a feature because like the, the, the resilience and the security of the network comes with uh, less numbers of, of changes. But what most people probably don't realize is that even if you don't change what, what's happening on, on the blockchain, there is a whole... Um, you know, ecosystem of, of different touch points that need to be enhanced in order to make sure that the user experience is actually, um, you know, progressing and evolving with with different products that you can use or different features that enable you to, you know, transact more privately or, you know, access the, the blockchain through other portals. Um, and, yeah, I think it's super an interesting. An,
1: it's an important distinction. I, I think sometimes I, I see Twitter dialogue that, You know, why are there even Bitcoin developers, you know, the protocols in stone, you know, these sorts of discussion and all of the things that that I just mentioned. And in fact, all of the changes to the Bitcoin core repository um, in the last year plus have all been non-consensus, non-protocol changes that can enhance the value of the Bitcoin protocol by improving the decentralization, privacy. Um, etc. that that we talked about without having to touch
0: the protocol. So from October the 17th until uh, October 31st, every Ledger Nano S Plus Orange purchase on ledger.com contributes uh, a donation to Brink. Um, So can you break down how these donations are put to use and what specific areas uh, they will help fund?
1: Well, yeah. First of all, thank thank you to you and the Ledger team for wanting to support Bitcoin open source. I think it's the foundation of what underpins our industry and probably the larger crypto industry at all. And so kudos to you guys for seeing value in uh, contributing to open source. So thank you for that. In terms of uh, any donations that Ledger or any of the listeners or viewers to this show make, uh, 100 percent of the funds that are donated, whether that's in Bitcoin or uh, via lightning or fiat, goes to the developers. Brink is in a fortunate position that our administrative costs were handled by some founding sponsors. So even things like forming the not-for-profit organization and paying for lawyers and auditors and things like this, those came out of our founding sponsors' donations. And so all new donations go directly towards the grantees that are working on the types of things that we outlined earlier, whether that's Nicholas and his fuzz testing that we talked about. Um, There's some important work that Sebastian, also known as the stack on GitHub, is doing a lot of review work. You have Gloria and her work towards package relay that's going to improve fee management and layer two protocols like Lightning. Um, So those folks are the beneficiaries of all these donations. So thank you.
0: Shout out to all of the folks you mentioned. I uh, think everyone appreciates their work. Um, but it's actually something that most people might you know, ask themselves. This question is, um, what? how would actual Bitcoin developers manage to sustain themselves and continue their work without organizations such as Brink uh, or others in the space?
1: Sure. Yeah. Uh, one way to think about open source is that Either the developers are donating their time, you know, maybe they have an interest in, in the technicals of it or they have some um, moral imperative themselves that they want to work on this technology. Uh, but they, at the end of the day, they're donating their time. Or organizations and individuals are donating money to support them to be able to allocate their time to work on the Bitcoin software. So, you know, when Bitcoin was originally announced and released, and in the years after that, there was no such thing as getting compensated for your work on, on Bitcoin. It was very much the former category of folks donating their time to work on this, you know, work on the protocol. And over the years, you know, then Bitcoin Foundation, I think, came along and, and was funding a, a couple different developers, and we've sort of continued that trajectory now through through Brink, who's who's funding eight developers, and you have organizations like OpenSats that are now starting to fund Bitcoin developers. You have um, Block, who through their initiatives um, are also funding developers, uh, Blockstream, Chaincode. So you love to see that the space has matured beyond just volunteers spending their time on it, that we can actually compensate people so that they can spend a higher percentage of their day on Bitcoin instead of just nights and weekends. And it's also nice to see, based on that, and that was only a brief list of some of the folks contributing, um, that you know, the funding itself even is decentralized and voluntary through a variety of not-for-profits, as well as for-profits, as well as startups. So
0: The funding is also decentralized, which means that all the folks listening to us can actually participate in that. And I assume there are a variety of different ways through which they could contribute to it, but one of them is actually, uh, you know, buying the orange Ledger Nano S+. Could you share some of these other ways through which people could contribute, uh, you know, resources?
1: Yeah, Uh, obviously, as as somebody who's curious about the technicals and wanting to onboard new developers, (laughs) one way that folks can contribute is actually learning the technicals and wanting to actually contribute their time and expertise. If you have a background in computer science or testing or review or C++, that's one way to do it um, all the way up through, um, you know, obviously direct donations financially. So we take on our website, we, we can take strike payments, we can do recurring credit card charges, lightning, Bitcoin, and you can contact us if you want to do a wire transfer. So I think anywhere in between is uh, an opportunity to contribute. You know, if you want to contribute your time, there's plenty of resources and in fact, One of the things that Brink grantees do is help facilitate educational resources for younger developers to learn about the Bitcoin protocol, the Bitcoin Core software. Um, We have initiatives that our grantees contribute to called, there's one called Bitcoin Core PR Review Club where you have folks like Peter Woola, And Gloria from our team uh, in a chat channel talking about a particular proposed change to the code base and how they think about it and questions that they would ask and how they would think about this particular change. And so you get, you know, quote unquote FaceTime with these uh, senior developers who are there to educate younger developers about how to contribute. And so I would encourage people who are curious to, to do that and otherwise, you know, follow along. With the developments, you know, follow Brink on Twitter, follow Bitcoin Optech and, and stay up to date because I think educated Bitcoiners um, are valuable to the ecosystem more so than um, just you know maybe folks who are disinterested in, in um, not learning the technicals.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Mike, for sharing these fascinating insights about Brink and, uh, you know, congratulations on the significant role that you guys play in supporting the overall Bitcoin ecosystem.
1: Thanks to Ledger for your contribution speak soon cheers
0: and that's it folks this brings us to another end of an exciting episode of on the ledger we've delved deep into the world of bitcoin governance met some of the brilliant minds at brink and discovered how crucial their work is for the bitcoin ecosystem we hope you've enjoyed this as much as we have and as always stay tuned for more insights and updates from the ledger universe until next time take care au revoir This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment or tax advice. Do your own research. Any loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.